0: Hey there, Ass Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. And I have another amazing conversation slash interview to share with you today. Kathleen Shannon is here and her and her business bestie, Emily Thompson, they are the hosts of the Being Boss podcast. Some of you might listen to it. They wrote a book and I was lucky enough to get an advance a copy and I have Kathleen on today talking about what it means to be boss. And even if you are not an entrepreneur, this podcast episode is for you. I made sure before I even had them on the podcast, I was reading the book and I'm like, hey, I just want to make sure that this is not just for entrepreneurs because I know some of you are who listen to the show, but most of y'all are not. And it definitely, we cover topics that are not about entrepreneurship. So excited to have you listen to that in just a minute here. Before I do, I wanted to remind you, we're getting very close to opening registration for my Daring Way retreat that is going to happen this summer here in North Carolina. I can't wait to roll it out to you. So if you want to be the first to be notified, head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash retreat. This does not put you under any obligation to actually sign up, but you'll be the first to know when it comes out because I know sometimes you get busy and you don't. Uh, you know, open my emails and you might not even know the registration's open. And then before you know it, it's sold out and you're like, ah, so if you want to just be the first to know about all the logistics, where it's at, how much it is, then go ahead and sign up over there. And the last thing before we jump in, is I have one spot open for my private coaching. And I have also brought on two associate coaches, which I'm really excited about. And if you are interested in either working with me, hanging out with me for several months, talking to me all the time, privately, <laughs> then head on over and read about it. Yourkickasslife.com slash daring. You can read about the work that I do. And it's the same work that my associate coaches do. So once you fill out an application on that page if you feel like that work is for you. We'll be in touch to see what the best fit is for you. So let's get on with today's show. Let me tell you a little bit about Kathleen. (laughs) Kathleen Shannon is the founder of Braid Creative and Consulting, a boutique branding agency and consultancy she co-owns with her sister. She also does creative coaching and is regularly invited to speak on personal branding at design conferences and retreats. She lives in Oklahoma City with her husband and son. So without further ado, here is Kathleen. Hey, Ask actually one more thing before we get started with this interview. I am so sorry, but the audio is not great on this. So Kathleen's interview was the first interview I've done since I've been back from my book tour, and I hadn't done a lot of interviews in a while. I've been the one being interviewed, and so I forgot to check that my fancy mic was actually connected, and it was just picking up the mic from my earbuds. So I'm sorry. It's not great. I will try to not let it happen again. We'll be back to better audio with the next interview. So for real this time, without further ado, here is Kathleen. Hello, Kathleen. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me. I was just for all of you listening, uh, Kathleen and I have been chatting for 19 minutes now and (laughs) (laughs) finally had to hit record and start this because just so many things to talk about. And one of the biggest things going on in your life right now is this book, Being Boss. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Congrats to you on your book. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's, I know how it is and it's, it's a whirlwind and it's such a huge accomplishment. And I love, you know, the business that you've created businesses, I should say, and, and your podcast and everything. And I love this book. And, and, and as I was saying in the introduction, this is not just for entrepreneurs. The topics in this book are really for anyone and it's called being boss. And I want to start, I want to start with that. Like, Out of curiosity, what does it mean to be a boss? I know you talk a lot about cultivating a boss mindset. So let's start there
2: yeah sure so whenever i think about being boss and really what it means to being boss it means living your life and y- doing your work on your terms right and so even if you have a day job still being who you are and bringing your core values to that job no matter where you work i think that that's really boss and so for me it's really looking at my values my values drive every single decision i make and there is so much freedom in that, even in the constraints of, you know, deadlines or projects or within a nine to five. And so for me, I'll just share with you my core values that I've really uncovered along the way over years of really exploring what these are, are authenticity, decisiveness Bravery and change. And knowing these core values, it really helps to steer me in the right direction anytime I come up against anything that has me, you know, questioning what my next step is, or if I need to define some boundaries, or if I need to decide what to say yes or no to. And these are the very values that actually help me quit my day job. They're the values that help me parent my child. And I think that each person, no matter what your context is, will be most boss whenever they pinpoint their values and take those values into action with their intentions and behaviors. But it starts with identifying what it is that you really believe in, like down to your bones, the things that you would, you know, go to war for like those values. I think knowing them and living them is what makes you most boss.
0: I love that answer as much as I love chocolate cake and let me tell you how much I love chocolate cake. Okay. Because values is what I wrote about values in my book and in the very first module of my group program, raise hell, which I know a lot of you listening are in. If you're not in it, I will teach it again in January, go to the website so you can get on the wait list, but that's the very first module. And we spend two weeks there and then we spend a lot of the rest of the program on it too. Because exactly like you said, it's foundational. Okay, the one that I want you to dig in more with, and I think it probably has to do with when you decided to quit your job. I've never heard of anyone have and I love this. I've never heard of anyone having a value around decisiveness. So can you say more about that?
2: Ooh, so this value actually came up through um, reflection and conversations with my friends. And so it's a value that I didn't really know that I had because it was so close to me. It was just part of my character and personality, I would say. But I own my business, Braid Creative, with my sister, Tara. And she's always said, I really admire how brave and decisive you are. And whenever we're having a hard time knowing what next steps to take, she can always count on me to make that decision. Decision. So I think that part of really identifying your values is asking those who are closest to you. And my sister is, I mean, I feel like we're soulmates who shared a womb. Like she, she really knows me. And so for her to say, like, I really appreciate how decisive you are, made me realize how much I appreciate that in myself. And so when it comes to decision making, it's, you know, one about knowing what you want. And knowing which steps will take you there. And I didn't realize like how rare it is to, you know, really know what you want. And I, as I get older, it's, it's almost harder for me to know what I want. And as my identity and as my um, attention is being pulled in different directions from parenting to working to, you know, wanting to be an adventurer to then being a wife, like there's a lot of different things that we have to juggle. Right. And Uh, it it can leave me like questioning what I want and where to go next. But this value of decisiveness allows me to say, Hey, you know what? We're going to go to Greece. Hey, you know what? We're going to write a book and it's going to come out in April of, you know, 2018. It's really the thing that helps me move forward whenever I could come down with, you know, analysis paralysis or whenever I could, um, you know, really feel uncomfortable or not know which way to go. So I'm never afraid of making a bad decision. I just know that any decision I make will move me forward, even if it takes me down a path that I wasn't expecting. i I trust myself enough to know that I can course correct and it's just deciding. It's like it's like this act of putting one step in front of the other.
0: I, okay. That's interesting because what I hear and what I'm my hunch is that a lot of people listening to this are, thinking that they might struggle around decisiveness because they don't trust them. My people tend to want a guaranteed outcome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if it doesn't work out? You know, I might, I might as well play. And that's why I think a lot of people stay in their jobs who do eventually want to start their own business. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it, <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com noise. Uh, I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long-term. Partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag onecom noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. So do you think that you were just kind of born with this self-trust or was it something that you had to cultivate? How did that happen? I
2: think, I think if you do enough things that are kind of scary, I feel like, do you ever see those cheesy Instagram quotes that are like, do something that scares you every day? I kind of
0: hate that one. Cause I feel like that's overachieving at its finest. Like every day, really? <laughs> I know. And you know, like, also like, like twice a week, wouldn't-
2: Wouldn't you just be scared shitless all the time if you were doing something scary every day? I think that that's ridiculous. So I'm with you. I don't like it either. I think that that can actually... Create a lot of fear and freak people out, right? Mm -hmm. So, I'm really about, I'm a creature of habit and routines. And one value that probably should be on my list that is like almost there is security. I love security. I love a guaranteed outcome as much as the next person. And I think that's why I'm almost challenged by my values. And this is how my values work together. Like, my value of bravery will help me make decisions. So I love it whenever my values kind of like have a conversation with each other or they're like pushing each other in different directions or, you know, giving each other a nudge. I think of my values as like these little personalities around a dinner table, almost, you know, coming back to that, doing something that scares you every day. I don't do that every day, but you know, A couple times a year, I'm doing something a little scary. And so whether that is buying a plane ticket to Kathmandu to hike up Mount Everest, or whether that is jumping out of a plane or whether that is deciding to have a baby, like these are all things that I've actually done. That have scared the shit out of me, but they, they started with a single decision and I can look back at these really scary decisions that could have gone any which way. Um, literally the plane before mine that flew into Lukla, Nepal crashed. So these things, yeah, right. So, these things are really scary, but they've allowed me to cultivate trust that it's going to be okay, and that I can do hard things. So, I think a little bit of it was I was born with it. I'm the youngest child and kind of like a typical youngest child archetype. Um but I think that a lot of it has been cultivated over time by leaning on my value of bravery. Mm, yeah,
0: you hear that, everybody <laughs> <laughs> i always I always talk about a similar value of courage. And I feel like courage is for me, it is the most important value of all of mine, because I feel like without courage, I can't do any of my other values. Like I can't be authentic and honest without also leaning on courage. I can't trust myself if I'm not also (laughs) leaning into courage. So it sounds like it's a little bit the same with, with bravery for you.
2: Absolutely. And I, I love that you say courage, because that was almost mine was courage. And I think that whenever it comes to defining your values, and you might even have this in your course, is really picking the word that resonates with you. So saying it out loud, writing it down, and really just feeling the word itself. Um can really go into how we define our values and which specific word we end up using. And a lot of us are attaching our own stories and experience and history to these words. So my values, even the words I'm saying out loud, might resonate in a different way um, with someone different because they're bringing their own stories and experience to those words themselves. So this is what I love about this exercise is that it is so personal. It is so... There can be any which amount of combinations, like if you're picking a handful of values that are all working together in really interesting and unique ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. Values. Okay, let's talk about money because I had a guest on recently talking about money. I think it's it personally, it's something that I have been working on a lot and seeing big changes in the way I feel about money and in my bank account because I have been treating money like it's a relationship. And you, I know that's like one of the chapters in the book and let's talk about that. Didn't you have like a major, I don't want to give the story away, but you had like a major money freak out and tell us what happened and how did you work through it?
2: Yeah. I mean, so my biggest major money freak out was quitting my job and I actually quit my day job as a senior art director at an advertising agency to actually trek through the Himalayas to go see Mount Everest. And after that, I came home. And I had no clients and I just couldn't believe what I had done. Wait, like, wait
0: let me stop you for a second. Wait, yeah. Wait. yeah. Out. Okay. <laughs> like, like I consider myself like someone who's like up for anything and like pretty spontaneous. I mean, obviously my life changed a lot now that I have two small children, but like, did you. Did you have a plan like for when you came back or were you just like whatever happens? (laughs) Tell me what was Yeah, it was kind of a whatever
2: happens situation. (laughs) I think that having kids, if any of your listeners have kids, are probably like, What? But for me, like having your
0: son, right? I did not have my son
2: yet. And so I have a four-year-old now and it would it would be a whole different story. I will say that. But I'm glad I took advantage of you know, in 2010. So this was eight years ago. Mm -hmm. I was in my twenties. It was easy enough to just go do the thing. But I also knew my numbers, right? I crunched my numbers. I had enough in the bank to feel okay and to feel secure. I am married and my husband has a job and it was enough to Support us financially if I had zero clients for a certain amount of time, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so we knew our numbers. I felt comfortable with that, but I didn't really have a plan. Okay, I had been blogging a lot, and so and again this all happened. I shouldn't say again, cause I haven't explained this. I didn't really know business. I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. Like we have all worked day jobs our whole lives. We really appreciate that kind of security. And again, that's a, a value of mine, apparently is security. So not having a plan in hindsight feels really wild, but I trusted that I could figure it out as I go. So, and I did. Um, so I got back from Mount Everest And I started, you know, hitting the pavement and I had some goals. I knew what my numbers were. I wrote some emails. I wrote some blog posts. I started putting myself out there and eventually got those clients. Right. But I, I started to also really question money whenever I quit my job. And I almost thought like, Oh my gosh, should I go back to school and get a degree in economics? I don't even know what money is. Have you ever had that, that (laughs) thought?
0: (laughs) Um, My thoughts are different about money. I always just... Oh God, we could do a whole podcast on that the right. up relationship that I have had with money. Yes.
2: <laughs> I feel like it's like such a stoner thing to say, like what even is money? That is the
0: conversation <laughs> I would have when I was stoned too. Yeah. Like, right.
2: What mean? But I did have that question and it really did make me reevaluate my relationship with money and what it meant, because I think it's really easy to take it for granted whenever you know that you're making a set salary and it's just in your bank account, your taxes have been taken out, your health insurance has been taken out, you know, it's just like really accounted for. And, and you can kind of take it for granted in a certain sense that you just trust that it's going to be there every month. So it really got me thinking about money. And one of my earliest mantras around money that really fixed my relationship around money, and especially any negative stories I had around money was that money is energy. And this is in me trying to define like what Should I just be working in trade all the time? Should I invest in Bitcoin? Like, what is all of this? Then I realized like money is energy and the value, like the dollar bill numbers that we assign to money are just really setting the standard or the exchange rate for that energy that you are exchanging for your service or product or good or time or whatever it is that you're selling. And so money is energy became one of my earliest mantras. It really repaired a lot of my negative stories around money. So for example, like if one of your money stories is money is the root of all evil and you exchange the word money with energy to say energy is the root of all evil, well, that's just ridiculous, right? So it really helped me see like like, Oh, money isn't a bad thing. And especially I have an art degree and the work that I do is really rooted in arts. And that's a lot of my community are, you know, artists and coaches. And a lot of them have grown up with this starving artist story and that, you know, you can't exchange money for a spiritual service or you can't exchange money for art. And that's just ridiculous. So
0: that's how I worked through that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And like, I think our parents generation too. like the, the, like, our parents did not want our, their children to come home and say like, I'm going to get a degree in art in college. It was kind of like, Oh God, that was as bad as like acting. You know, it's like, because, I know my poor dad, right. It's because, and I'm not saying those things are bad. It just that. Yeah. The starving artist, the starving actor. And yeah. And just that belief that you can't make money. What if, in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
0: Okay, real quick, and everybody, the book is Being boss. Take control of your work and live, your li- live life on your own. Term, your own terms, go and get it. There will be links to it in the show notes as well as links over to Kathleen's websites. But just a side note about money that I thought was kind of funny, a, a revelation that I had with my 10-year-old son. He and I listened to a lot of NPR and like Ted Radio Hour. He's he's uh very into that. He loves it. So we were listening to an episode on space and talking about all the multiple universes. And he's so interested in that. And like, is there life on other planets? And there was one particular like astrophysicist or something that had mentioned money. And so he and I got into this conversation. I said, you know what? because he believes that there has to be another planet out there that is like planet earth, where there is some kind of life. And so we were taught, and I was saying, you know, we, we don't know where that planet is in terms of their maturity. Like they could be way more advanced than we are, or like in the caveman, there might still be dinosaurs on that. But then he and I started talking about how we made up, we as humans made money up, right? So yeah. what if there's another Earth out? This is such a stoner conversation too, and I was not stoned—not <laughs> <laughs> in six years. But like, what? What if my question to him was, "What if there's another kind of like planet Earth out there where there is some kind of human civilization and they have a completely different currency than we do? Like it's not money, it's something else. Like, and he was, oh for sure. Out, Whoa, what would it be? And I was like, what if it's like beans or <laughs> magic beans?
2: But yeah, like it, I love it. I mean, we well, because up. we started on a gold standard, right? And I don't know that we even have that anymore. So money is completely made up. But I think especially with cryptocurrency, this is something I started to get into. And then I pulled myself out of it because I just can't. I don't have enough space in my brain, probably since having a kid. <laughs> there is a cryptocurrency where for every every cryptocurrency that you buy, they plant a tree. And so it's almost like trees become, it's like an abundance model versus a scarcity model that our our economy has been built on. But yeah, I think that that's fascinating. There is a Freakonomics podcast episode all about if we started over on another planet and you got like the world's top leading economists figuring out what the money situation was, like what that would look like. So you should check into that with your son.
1: We'll
0: we'll find it and put it in the show notes for people, anybody who's interested. All right. So Switching gears. Another topic we talk about a lot over here is the inner critic. So can you tell us about a major moment where you had to overcome an internal freak out when it came to your inner critic? Mm,
2: probably my biggest freak out. I mean, it was probably in, well, I've had a couple. Okay. So writing the book, I mean, and you probably know, like, <laughs> It's so different than writing a blog that you can delete later, and thinking, "Wow, this is going to be a physical book that people can hold in their hands." And who am I? Like, I'm not an expert in this, and I find that the older I get, the more I know I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And the more my inner critic. Back to that unconscious incompetence. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm so glad I started my own business whenever I was like young and naive, but I still think that you just have to do a little bit more work and. And there are so many other flip sides that are great about gaining, you know, wisdom and experience, but I have found, you know, the more I know, the more I know, I don't know. And so that can often freak me out a little bit whenever it comes to doing new things like writing a book or developing a course or I mean, even like going on new vacations or going to new places. So my inner critic definitely flared up as I was writing the book. But I think that writing the book with my business partner and podcast co-host Emily really helped with that. Like being in it together really made me realize the power of collaboration. And that really helped me shine a big old light on that inner critic where she could be like, yeah, that isn't so good. And like, for, to have someone else confirm what your inner critic is saying, there's something so liberating in that that I would have never imagined because I thought that the inner critic was like completely fake or false or unuseful. And so I learned a lot of stuff about my inner critic about when it's actually kind of spot on. Well, and I also would, stop for a second
0: because for people that don't know, Emily is your best friend and she's someone that you trust.
2: Yeah, I mean she's my business bestie. She is someone I trust big time. So it's not like a hater out there telling me I suck.
0: <laughs> and then you're like that inner critic is right. Like that, yeah, right. <laughs> no.
2: Totally totally different. And so I definitely have that inner circle of people. I think Brené Brown calls it, you know, like your post-it note people. Mm-hmm. So where you have enough people that you can fit on a post-it note. That I trust, and if they if their feedback to me matches some things that I don't know if it's my inner critic being a jerk, or if it's my inner critic giving me a critique that's actually helpful. And so that was really interesting and something new that I learned about my inner critic because I was starting to believe like, oh, well, everything my inner critic says is bullshit and hurtful and hateful. And it was like, actually, no, like sometimes it can be um, a really helpful critique. And so that's changed my relationship with my inner critic in a really great way where I can really identify what is a critique and what is, you know, like an anonymous troll talking trash in my head.
0: Right. And and I've actually got that question not that long ago from, from one of my people in my groups is how do I, how do I know when it's, when it's somebody or my inner critic just being a shit or if it's actual feedback that I should listen to and take into account. And I, I also think one of them is, well, if you're hearing it from multiple people, you know, maybe that, that you're not a great listener or that you are flaky or, or something like that. And there are going to be some people I think that are just mean, but if it's people that you trust and like, like you said, your posted people, it might be I'm something good. to, to take into consideration. Something
2: else I've been practicing lately with my inner critic, and this isn't in the book or anything, but just something new I'm really experimenting with is listening to my heart. And I know that sounds so cheesy, even saying it out loud, but I've been really interested in energy and alignment. And if I can think from my brain, like, okay, how how is this? Like, is this good? Is this bad? Should I do this thing? Should I not do this thing? It, it, my brain can just reel in circles. But if I imagine as if I'm thinking from my heart, so I think that this is different than like listening from your heart. Like if I imagine that my heart has its own little brain that I'm thinking from, that voice is always a little bit more gentle, but it's still mm-hmm. guiding me in a way that is Constructive, and so it might say, actually, yeah, Kathleen, like you need to go rewrite that thing, or you probably should go say you're sorry, and that's been really helpful for me.
0: I love that. Yes, absolutely, positively, a hundred percent. Everybody needs to get this book. And because there's one more topic that I wanted before we close up, there's one more topic I wanted I want to talk about that you talk about in this book that I have found. I talked about it in my book too, but I have found when I did my, my book club or in January, I think I did it for anybody that had bought the book. One of the biggest topics that we talked about that people kept bringing questions on was boundaries. And you have like, I love that you have a list. like page 80. Here are some warning signs that you might need to set some boundaries. And I think, I think everyone needs to set boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. don't. Or I should, I should also say everyone needs to learn to set them in a way that aligns with their values because I don't know about you, but before I started doing this work, I thought boundaries were, you were confrontational. You were assertive to the point of being aggressive and sometimes bitchy. Like you had to like get that tone, like that I'm not going to take any more shit from you and you need to knock it off. Like that, that's what I thought setting boundaries was. <laughs> right And so talk to me about how you, tackle this this topic in the book.
2: I'm so glad that you asked about this because whenever we came to this chapter and writing it, I felt like, wow, how do we even talk about this? Because like you're saying, it feels like setting boundaries is more about your tone and more about your vibe and your energy. Um, But it really is about what it is that you want to create and cultivate and what it is that you want to keep out. And so I, I love thinking about all concepts and metaphors. I'm a visual person. And so for me, it was really helpful to think of boundaries as a garden and what, flowers or plants do I want to grow in my garden? What do those represent? And then what kind of like animals or pests do I want to keep out of my garden? And what do those represent? And so this helps me really figure out, okay, here's what I want to create in my life. And there's only so much space for it as well. So I can't fill my garden with all the things. Mm -hmm. Um, and then what do I want to keep out and what's going to be a distraction? And so let's say I'm wanting to grow a garden full of tulips and roses And then I have a salesperson come up with snap peas, and they're like, "Hey, do you want these snap peas?" And I'm like, "Oh, that does sound good, but I only have room for tulips and roses." Mm -hmm. So it's going to help me say no to things that even sound really great at the time, um, because I've really figured out what my boundaries are. And then obviously, like the pests that you don't want in your garden, and building up that fence, and what does that line in the sand look like? And now I'm mixing my metaphors, but what does that fence post? You know, what does that Mm -hmm. fence look like? What are your barriers? of defense, whenever it comes to setting your boundaries. And so for me, like, I I think, is my calendar, like my calendar is a huge boundary setter for me, where I'm literally blocking out time for each task, or for you know, personal things, including picking up my son or going to work out at the gym. And that creates this time and space to do what it is that I want to do and to cultivate and create what it is that I'm wanting to nurture. So that's kind of how my boundaries work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and to be clear, like, no, I, I don't think that it's, it's about your tone. That, that's how I used to think boundaries were, you know, oh, right, right. Yeah. Being assertive and, and bitchy. And, and, um, I think Yeah. And my book outlines how to have like those hard conversations with people. But I think that even before we can do that, this is what I'm getting from, from this part of the conversation is even before we can do that, we have to be good with the boundaries we keep with ourselves. And I love that example. I have a colleague that calls that sacred scheduling. Mm -hmm. where she does not budge on things like her workouts or, you know, she doesn't take clients after she picks up her kids from school. And, and I've, I've, I've kind of, I'd like talked about this a little bit on my podcast. Like I have not been working out regularly for like the last two years and it's, and the only reason is because I have not made it a priority. I have not scheduled it in. I'm going to talk about that in another podcast episode, but I, it's true. It's like, no, it's not that you don't have time. It's just that you haven't made it a priority. And I like that you said that sometimes you have to say yes to the snap peas and like the things that do still really sound good, right? but they just don't fit. Right. Yeah, for
2: sure. And then, you know, coming back to values, like everything in our book and just the way that we've run our businesses, me and Emily, my co host and co author of the book, like it all builds upon each other. And so I even go back to my values to help determine what my boundaries are. Like, does this, the saying yes or no to this thing, support my value of authenticity or bravery or change? So, for example, I just moved across the country and I was scared to do it, but I value change. And so really making room for that within, even within my boundaries and what I want to cultivate is huge. So I kind of think of like my values as my fence line, if that makes sense.
0: I like that. Oh, that's yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Everybody being boss, take control of your work and live life on your own terms is on sale in just about another week on April 10th. You said right bookshelves, April 10th. It will be on bookshelves on April tenth, but you can pre-order it
2: anytime
0: anywhere books are sold. You pre-order it now and go follow Kathleen and Emily on their podcast is amazing, which I will be a guest on shortly. So now it's about to be even better. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to have you on our show. I, I know I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to, to both of you. But thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and taking time. And thank you everyone for listening. I always I'm so incredibly grateful that you you give us your time. I know that that is such a huge gift and valuable to you. So thank you so much for being there. Anything else that you want to say, Kathleen, before we close up? No, just thank you so much for having
2: me. It's been so fun chatting with you.
0: Likewise, everyone, please take care of yourselves out there. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.